All right, how you guys doing? That was that was fun to worship. Worship team did awesome. Thank you guys. All right, you guys can turn to the Book of Acts. Uh, there won't be any uh, any media on the screens this morning during the message, so you'll have to like look in your Bible yourself and stuff. I know that might be a str- a stretch for some of you, but uh, I think you can you can manage. So God has called me to be a shepherd here at Family Life Church and. In the scripture, there's a lot of times where the imagery of a shepherd and sheep is used. I think you guys can picture a flock of sheep doing what sheep do. I know there's not a, not a lot of sheep around uh, Wyoming County, but there's some, some places. Um, but I think you can pick, kind of picture uh, a herd of sheep kind of doing their sheep thing. They're out there living and rolling in dirt and buying and grazing and doing whatever sheep do and The shepherd shouldn't really be doing the same thing that the sheep are doing. The shepherd needs to be looking out for the sheep. The shepherd needs to be having an eye out for predators at all times. The shepherd needs to make sure he's doing everything he can to protect the sheep and make sure he's communicating with the sheep to let them know if there's any danger or anything like that so that they can avoid uh, getting themselves in trouble. And So that's kind of what I'm hoping to do today is I'm hoping to share with you guys some things that I see. Maybe they're things that you see. Maybe they're things that you don't see. But what I want to do is I want to expose what I believe the plan of the enemy is in this time and in this season. And hopefully figure out how we can avoid it and how we can destroy the plan of the enemy and walk in all that God has called us to do. Maybe you haven't noticed. Maybe you've lived under a rock or something like that. Welcome, girls. Um, <laughs> I'm going to back up a little bit. Uh, Maybe you haven't noticed, but 2020 and 2021 has felt like a very unsettling time. There's been times where it like literally feels like the ground underneath our feet is shaking. And uh, there's been times where I've I've watched things unfold that I feel like have grieved God's heart. Um, There's been times where friendships have dissolved. There's families that don't speak to each other anymore. There's churches that don't people don't speak to each other in the churches anymore there's times where churches shut down for seasons and there's even churches that dwindled and ended up shutting down altogether when i've watched these things happen there's a phrase that i've thought to myself over and over again during this time every time i see something like that happen in my mind i don't know if it's something that god spoke to me or just something i thought every time i see something like this happen i think If I were the enemy, this is exactly where I would want the body of Christ. If I were the enemy, I would do everything I could to divide the body of Christ, to divide families, to divide friends, to bring people to a place of weakness where they could fall to an attack. I was on vacation uh, a few weeks ago, a month ago, something like that, I don't know. And the Olympics were on, and I hadn't really, I've had a lot going on this summer, and I hadn't really had much of a chance to watch any of USA basketball. I usually try and tune in and watch a little bit of it, but I hadn't had the chance to. I had heard that USA basketball was really struggling. In fact, they'd had two games and they had lost their first two games. Like this like never happens for USA basketball. Like USA basketball usually looks like the varsity team out there playing against seventh graders. Like they usually just like go in there and it's like you'll tune in, you'll see the score and it's like 184 to 36. It's like, wow, what was going on, Portugal? Like, come on, like, pull it together. But USA basketball usually dominates, but they lost their first two games. Everyone's like, what is going on? Like, this is crazy. They usually dominate, but they lost their first two games. 
I tuned in for their third game, and I caught a little bit of the, the end of the first half and the second half. And I watched that little bit of the first half, and I was watching, and I'm like, this is bad. Like, these are literally the best players on the planet. The best basketball players that exist in the world are on Team USA. And they look horrible. Like, no one's hustling on defense. They're missing easy shots. No one's boxing out. No one's getting rebounds. No one's getting back on defense. Like, this is bad. And I'm watching this going like, this is a joke. And the commentator said, Team USA basketball looks like every man for themselves out there. Like, no one's working together. No one's on the same page. They're just every man for themselves out there. And I got to tell you, when I look around at the body of Christ right now, I think that's kind of a good explanation of where we're at. It's like every man for themselves. Everyone for their own thoughts, their own opinions, their own ideas, and everyone's just doing their own thing. Greg Popovich was the coach for Team USA. He normally coaches the San Antonio Spurs, but he's a member of the USA basketball coaching staff, and he was coaching uh, USA basketball this year, and he gave a famous speech at halftime of that game that I watched, and it was the turning point for Team USA that went on to win the gold medal. He got the team in the locker room, and he said, you are not playing for yourselves. You're not out there representing yourself. You're not out there doing what you want to do. You represent the United States of America. There's a country that's rooting for you and a country that's watching you, cheering for you, and you owe them your best. You have to get on the same page. You have to learn to work together or else you're going to fail at what you've been called to do. And that was when Team USA started to work together, started to get on the same page, started to sacrifice for each other, and eventually they went on to win the gold medal. I want to tell you, you are not out on your own doing what you want to do. That's not what you're called to do. You are a part of the kingdom of God. You are a part of the kingdom of God, and you represent the kingdom of God in everything you do. And because of that, if we're going to accomplish all that God has called us to do and be who God has made us to be, then we have to find a way to get on the same page. Amen? Uh, I asked you to turn to the book of Acts. I was reading the book of Acts earlier this year, and there was a theme that stood out to me. And it was this theme of togetherness. And I'm going to read to you a bunch of scriptures from the book of Acts, and we're going to see this theme of together. I want you to take note, especially towards the end of chapter 2, every time you see together. I'm going to start off in Acts 1, uh, verses 4 through 5. It says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, so they were together, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2. This is when the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. They did exactly what Jesus said, and they waited together. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This is why you go to church, because you don't know when the Holy Spirit is going to show up. And I hope to God we're together when he does show up to fill us. Amen? They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. There's a huge job that God has called the disciples to. 
And there's no way they can do it in their own strength. So he says to them, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to empower them and enable them to do everything that he's called them to do. Aren't you guys thankful that we serve a God that when he calls us to something, he gives us the power to accomplish the thing that he called us to? I can't help but wonder if the Holy Spirit being poured out on this group of people had anything to do with them being together and on the same page. They were on the same page because they obeyed God and they were waiting for the Holy Spirit so they could fulfill all that God called them to. Now in the end of uh, Acts chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 42, read through 47. Every time you see together, I want you guys to say together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. The early church was together, and because they were together on the same page, They were able to accomplish what God called them to. If we can't get on the same page, if we can't get together, there's no way we're going to be able to reach the people that God has called us to reach. The enemy wants to divide the body of Christ, but God is calling for unity. I've never seen our country as divided as it is right now. I know there's been times throughout history where it has been, but I haven't really seen it in my lifetime. I've never seen families so divided as they are right now. I've never seen churches as divided as they are right now. The enemy will always try to divide, but God so clearly wants unity. Jesus prayed this prayer that shows this very, very clearly. It's in John 17, verses 20 through 23. Just listen to this prayer. When Jesus is praying, he's praying for you and me and the church as a whole, and he's speaking to God about that. He said, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning not for us alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, meaning our message, that all of them may be one, meaning us. He's praying that we will be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and loved me, even as you love them, even as you have loved me. So how can we walk in unity? How can we undo the plan of the enemy in our life and walk in the unity that God has called us to? I want to share with you guys four Um, four things that we can do that will foster unity. But first, I want to define biblical unity for you. Unity is oneness, not sameness. Unity, uh, oneness of purpose, not sameness of person. In other words, I'm not trying to get all of us to look the same. I'm not trying to get all of us to act the same. There's no cookie-cutter Christians that I'm looking for. God made each one of us super unique. We have different personalities and giftings. We're all totally different, and that's totally okay. I'm not saying we all need to be the same. 
But what I do want is I want to get all of us on the same page towards God's divine goal. Biblical unity is God's people aligned with God's goal. I see a lot of people walking around doing their own will and doing their own work and trying to put God's endorsement on it as if saying that God told me to do this or twisting some scripture, pulling it out of context to justify what you're doing means that you have God's approval and you're in God's plan. Unity is God's people aligned with God's goal. So the first way that we can foster unity is to major on the majors. Major on the majors. When I was at Camp Judah this summer, I got to spend some time with a pastor from uh, North Carolina. His name was Jordan. Before camp, he contacted us and he said that they were looking to start a camp uh, down in uh, North Carolina where he was from. And he had seen our promotional materials and he got on our website and looked at all, a bunch of stuff about Camp Judah and he was like, this is exactly what I want camp to look like down in North Carolina. So he said, could I come up and could I be a part of the camp? Could I serve at the camp and, and learn everything I possibly could to take back and start a camp in North Carolina? So we said, sure. So he came to camp and he jumped in and he helped us with all kinds of stuff for setup and preparation and did everything with us to make the week happen. I decided to make him the camp photographer, first of all, because he was okay at taking pictures, but second of all, because that would let him kind of see every aspect of camp. So I thought that would be a good fit. So we were talking a little bit, and he asked if he could ask me some questions about camp one afternoon when I had a little bit of downtime. So I said, sure. So he asked me every question you could imagine about camp, and I told him, answered all of his questions and told him everything I could about camp. And then he said, I said, well, what are you guys trying to do? He said, well, I want to take six or eight churches, and I want to try and get them on the same page and get them all working together to start a camp in North Carolina. I said, so, I said kind of, half jokingly, half seriously. So you want to take a bunch of churches when people can't even agree inside of those churches and pull them together in like the most divided time in history and try and get everyone to work together to do this camp. And he kind of laughed and said, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. He said, the need is too great for us to not work together. And the call is too big and too important for us to not be on the same page. That kind of haunted me that night. Like, I laid in bed and I thought about it, and I was like, man, he is so right. The need is too big. We can't do this on our own. We have to get on the same page. There's no way we can accomplish what God has called us to accomplish if we can't get on the same page. And there's people on the other side of our unity that are never going to know that Jesus was the Son of God and that he loves them if we can't get on the same page. I got to know Jordan a little bit better over the next few days, and I found out that one of the reasons that unity is so important to him, and he's kind of good at creating unity, is because he grew up as a missionary. So I said, well, how, how does that work? Tell me about it. He said, well, on the mission field, denominational lines completely disappear. He said he grew up in a country where there was believed to be six known Christians. Five of them were missionaries, and the sixth one was a convert who they were half, half wondered if he was a spy. They didn't even know if he was a real convert or not. Six known Christians in the entire country. He said, we had uh, a Baptist person, a Southern Bath Baptist, a Methodist, a Pentecostal, and a YWAMer. He said, like, we all had like, very different beliefs about things. We had different theologies. And literally, all of it went out the window. 
Like none of it mattered to us at all. He said we would get together and just we would run into each other and it would turn into a worship service because we were so excited to be with someone who carried a Bible. It was like, do you read the Bible and do you believe it's the Word of God? Yes. Awesome. Come here, I need a hug. And can I tell you about all the stuff that's going on in my life? Can you pray for me? Will you, will you be with me? They were so excited to be together. There was such unity amongst this group of people that if they were in a town in America, probably would barely even interact with each other. But in this foreign country, because that was all they had, there was such unity amongst this group of people. They didn't care about the differences. They literally could have cared less about the differences. They did not even care anymore because they had such affection for one another because they majored on the majors. They focused on the major things. They said they both believed that Jesus was Lord. They believed he was the Son of God and he died for their sins. And that was enough. They weren't so much worried about all the little details or fringe theologies or their different opinions about this. They just wanted to be together, and they had such affection for each other. I wonder what church would look like if we got over our differences and all the minor things that we have different opinions and thoughts about, and we just focused on the major things that Jesus has saved us and set us free, and we could be unified around those major points. The second thing we can do to foster uh, unity is to stick to commonalities. Don't focus on the differences. Focus on the things you have in common. I have a friend who's a realtor, and uh, he reached out to me, and he said, hey, I got this house you might be interested in. You should check it out. And I was like trying to get over there to look at it, but I had been busy, and I hadn't been able to. And he said, well, come on. You've got to come look at it before it hits the market. Maybe you can make an offer. And I was like trying to, but I just had too much going on. I couldn't make it happen. So then he texted me later, and he's like, hey, it's on the market, and we're having an open house. I want you to come look at, the, look at the house. I was like, all right, I'll try and sneak over there for an hour and check it out. So I went, and I looked at this house, and there was a bunch of cars there, and there was a bunch of other people there for the open house. And so I went inside, and I talked to him, and he's into hunting, and so he was super excited about the hunting season coming up, and he was excited to get in the woods, and we talked about that a little bit. And we caught up and talked about some other things we had going on in our lives. And then I was just, all right, I'm going to go check out the rest of the house. i got to get going to an appointment, but I'm going to walk through the house real quick. And he said, okay. So I was about to go upstairs, and he goes, hey, there's a, a lady upstairs who's looking at the house. There's a bunch of people, but there was a specifically a lady who was upstairs looking at the house. And he said, just so you know, she's an animal rights activist. I was like, okay. And he was telling me this because I'm a hunter, and he didn't somehow, and I wondered why he was talking so quietly when he was talking about hunting. Like, usually he's kind of loud about it, and so... I was like, oh, that's why he was being quiet. So I was like, all right. So I'm like walking upstairs, and I don't know why, but I just knew I was going to end up like in a room with this lady, and we were going to have a conversation. I'm like, what am I going to say to this lady who like is an, she like lobbies for animal rights and this kind of stuff, and I don't really lobby for animal rights. So I was like, you know, like I have an animal, and I like it, but I'll eat it if I need to. So I was like... I just knew I, kn- I knew I was going to end up like in the in the room with this this lady, and so I'm like, what am I going to talk to her about? So I was kind of I heard her talking to another person. I was kind of eavesdropping, like maybe I can find something we have in common we can talk about. So I'm like listening, and I heard her talk about investing in real estate, and I was like, okay, sweet, there's something I can talk to this lady about. So sure enough, like her and I end up. This one lady leaves the room, and she comes into where I was, and. So we start talking, and 
So I asked her some questions about investing in real estate, and she kind of told me what her niche was and what she was doing, and she asked me what I did, and so I told her a little bit about what I was doing, and then she ended up telling me about her family and where she was from, and she was all happy and giddy, and we had a, a good conversation. So then I was like trying to get out of there because I had another place I had to go, so I said, like, look, this is your niche in real estate, and it's kind of a little bit different than mine, so like, how about we exchange contact information? If I find some place that doesn't fit what I'm looking for, but I think it'll fit what you're looking for, then I'll send it along your way and you can do the same. She's like, oh, that would be wonderful. So we exchange contact information and I go downstairs and off I go. So I'm, I'm walking out of the house and the realtor follows me out of the house and he goes, so how did that go? He could hear us talking, but he didn't know what we were talking about. He's like, so how did that go? And I'm like, it went great. Like, it was totally fine. I just talked to her and he's like, it's like, seriously, I don't even know how you did that. He's like, I couldn't even talk to that lady. Like, like that was rough. And what he was getting at was the fact that her and I had a lot of differences. When I drove up to the property, I saw a car that had 16 bumper stickers on the back. I didn't know it at the time, but it turns out that was that lady's car. One of those bumper stickers said, God is dead. One of them said, abortion is beautiful. One of them had a picture of an animal and then a greater than sign and then a picture of a person. And there was a, a bunch of other ones. So you could imagine that her and I probably disagree about a lot of stuff. Like there's probably a whole lot of stuff that, that her and I disagree about. In fact, if she would have had any idea that I would have been a pastor, she probably would have avoided me and not even had a conversation with me because she was an atheist. But because I focused on a, a place of commonality, I didn't go in and lead the conversation with, so I can't wait to get in the woods and get bloody. How about you? You know, like... <laughs> It wasn't exactly how I led the conversation. I, I, I started with a place of commonality, something we had in common, something we could talk about. And we had a, a, an interaction. We had some, a conversation, and she walked away from that conversation feeling excited and feeling like I got to know her a little, little bit about her. And I don't know what that might turn into in the future. Like maybe there will be some opportunity for me to talk to her about God or whatever. I'm not sure. But... I didn't go in. There was a lot of things that I could have said that would have set this lady off. I guarantee it. And it would not have been hard for me to do that. Just, even if she just knew who I was a little bit, it probably would have set her off. But I didn't do that. But sometimes when I watch the way that we interact with each other, man, we're like bulls in a china shop, especially on social media. It's like, it's bad. Like we have, I'm just going to be honest and tell, you, tell it to you like it is. We have lost grace. We're not graceful with each other at all. Like, that is gone. We're just like pushing our opinion out there for everyone in front of us in the world to see. No grace, no working on commonalities, no building a bridge of relationship that we can walk across to eventually share some perspective that's important to us. We're just beating each other up with our opinions and perspectives, and it's ugly. We don't look any different than the world in that aspect. And God calls us to be salt and light and look different and stand out. But we really don't right now. We just look like everyone else. We had a life group a couple years ago. It was a life group for, uh, for married couples. And uh, we were in that life group. It was a great time of learning and growing together. And one of the things I would end each life group with was I would ask one couple to share with us what their... Um, what the most important thing was that they learned, have learned in their marriage or what the best piece of marital, marital advice was that they'd been given. And on this week, it was the Russells' uh, turn to tell us what they've learned or what they, what they had heard. 
And they shared with us some of my favorite advice. I hadn't heard it put together in this way. The advice that they gave us was seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Seek to understand before seeking to be understood. I've got to tell you, this idea has completely gone out of style in the last couple of years, and it's worth reviving. We're too busy trying to shove our opinions and perspectives down everyone else's throat. We don't even care about what the other one's experience is instead of seeking to understand where the other person is coming from before we fight to be understood. Psalm 133.1 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. I think if we could seek to understand before we try to be, under, try to be understood, it would be awfully good and awfully pleasant. One time, I got together with a couple who asked me if I could sit down with them for a little bit, so I did. This couple was struggling. Uh, when the husband reached out to me, he said, like, I don't know if we're going to even make it. Like, if we make it to the end of the month married, then that, I, I consider that a success. Like, they were really having a hard time. They'd been in the middle of a, a long, drawn-out drawn fight over weeks and months, and things were like going from bad to worse. The wife had been sleeping somewhere else. The husband had stopped depositing his uh, check in their joint checking account. Like Things just were not going, not going well with this couple. So they asked if I could get together with them. I said, sure. So uh, we sat down. And so I said, you know, what's going on? So they started telling me about what had been going on between the two of them. And things escalated quickly. We were in my office, and uh, it wasn't five minutes into the conversation, and I've got two people that are just like screaming at each other. And I'm just like, man, I hope nobody else is here at church like to hear what's going on right now. This is ugly. So after a while, I said, okay, hold on, hold on. Let's just all chill out for a second. This easy does it, people, right? And uh, so I said to the wife, I said, so I'm going to ask your husband a question, and I want you to do me a favor while I ask him this question he answers. I'm going to ask you not to speak. Don't talk, don't roll your eyes, don't make any noises. I don't want to hear anything out of you. I just want to hear from your husband right now. She said, okay, I can do that. So I said to the husband, I said, okay, I want you to like concisely explain to me what the problem is, because they were talking, and they were saying that they were on different sides of this issue. They were saying they couldn't come into agreement. They were saying they couldn't get on the same page, so much so that they didn't even know if they could stay married. So I'm like having a hard time figuring out what the problem was, partially because I was trying to listen to two people screaming at the same time, but also because I didn't really see an issue where they were differing. So I said, okay, husband, explain to me concisely what the issue is. So he goes, starts going. And it was not concise. He's just like going off and explaining everything. He went on for like maybe five minutes. I said, okay, let me try and consolidate this, and you tell me if this is accurate. I said, you are angry because you and your wife aren't connecting and aren't spending time together. He says, thank you, finally. Someone listened to me. I've been trying to tell her this for six months. She never listens. Yes, we never connect. We never have time together. I said, okay. Good job. Thank you. So then I turned to the, to the husband and I said, okay, so you had your chance to talk. Now I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. and I'm going to ask you not to speak. Don't roll your eyes. Don't sigh. Don't look at the ceiling. Just sit there and smile while I ask your wife the same question. He said, okay, I can do that. So I asked her, said, okay, can you concisely explain to me what the problem is? She said, sure. So she starts going and she lied. She couldn't do it concisely either. So she's going and she's 
just telling me all, all the things under the sun that are wrong. I said, okay, let me consolidate this for you and let me tell you if this is, you tell me if this is accurate, if I'm hearing you and understanding you so I can figure out what the issue is. She said, okay. So I said, it sounds to me like you're saying you're hurt because you guys aren't connecting and aren't having time together. She says, thank you. Was that so hard? I've told him over and over again. He's not listening. I said, okay. Do you guys see what just happened there? No. What happened there? I said, okay. He said he's angry because you're not connecting and not having time together. She said she's hurt because you're not connecting and not having time together. And they both just kind of looked at each other for a second, and I said, sounds to me like you guys actually don't even have an argument or a disagreement. I, I don't even understand why you guys are yelling at each other. Like, why are you mad? You both want the same exact thing. Like, usually it's more complicated than this. Like, usually he wants one thing, she wants another, and we have to find a way to compromise and work together. You want the same identical thing. Like, not even something similar. You want the same exact thing. And you've been fighting for weeks and months. And you just told me you don't know if you can stay married. Like, what in the world is going on? I, I, di I didn't even understand it. They, they loved each other at the end of that meeting. They hugged, they kissed. We came up with a plan for how they can connect and have time together. Everything's good. Out the door they go. And I'm like, well, after they leave, I'm like, what even happened? Like, what in the world? That doesn't even make sense. Like, I'm really good at this, I guess. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe it was me. Like, it's amazing. I should do this for a living or something. This is crazy. And I thought about it a little more, and I realized what was happening was they were both trying to explain to the other person their perspective so loudly and aggressively, fighting for them to understand them, that they never actually stopped to hear each other. If just one of them would have been mature enough for just five minutes to just like step back and go like, okay, just for five minutes I'm going to try and understand what they're saying. It could have been a 15-minute conversation where they came up with a game plan together and they could have connected and had time together and been happy and off they go. They're good to go. But no, they were both fighting. She was fighting to try and make him understand and hear her. She wasn't listening to him. He was fighting, trying to make her listen and her understand him he was never listening to her. If we could just learn to seek to understand each other before we seek to be understood, I think there's a lot of unity that could happen. I think we could get on the page about a lot of things. It won't all be as easy as it was with that couple. There are legitimate things that we will disagree about, but man, there is a busload of stuff that we can agree about. There is so many things that we can get on the same page. And if we could just get on the same page according to Jesus' prayer to the Father, it's then that the world will know that he's the Son of God and he loves them. The world isn't going to know that until you and I can get on the same page and be unified. And if we could seek to understand each other before we seek to be understood, I think that would go a long way. The fourth area that we can foster unity it's kind of a little bit different than the other ones, and it's kind of specific to where we're at at a church right now. But it's joining a life group. We've been doing life groups for a few years now. We usually run a uh, spring session for six weeks, and we run a fall session for six weeks. And that's actually starting the first week of October. And I want to encourage everyone to join a life group. You can sign up for life groups at flcwarsaw.com slash life groups there's right now there's five to choose from 
and you can hop on there and you can check it out. If you need help signing up, we can help you do that in the foyer today. You have two weeks to sign up. You could sign up uh, today or any time during the week, this week or next Sunday, you can sign up as well. Um, life groups are an awesome place to foster unity. It's an awesome place to build relationship. It's an awesome place to get to know each other. We need that. We need to spend time together. In, in the book of Acts, it was talking about how the disciples were spending time together. They were eating meals together. And it was building unity amongst them. They were able to accomplish so much for God because of that unity. I want to end this morning by telling you guys a story. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was this time of year, maybe a little earlier, and I was headed to meet a group of friends, and we were going to go to uh, see a tractor pull together. So I got done with what I was doing on that Saturday, and I headed to this place where the tractor pull was. And I got there a little bit before my friends, and I hadn't had dinner yet. So I went over to the concession stand, and I got a burger and fries, and I was going to head over and get uh, head over and eat it while I waited for my friends. So I headed over to the grandstands, and they were like just totally full, just like packed. So I'm like, oh my goodness, like where are we going to find a seat to sit down? So I was looking for a seat, and finally I saw a place, I was meeting four friends, and finally I saw a place where there was a little space up next to this old guy, up on the very top of the bleachers, up against the back wall. So this this old guy, he kind of looked like Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty. He had like a, like a white beard down to here, he had on dirty flannel shirt and dirty jeans and cowboy boots, and he had a, a big straw hat. Looked like he was probably about 80 years old or something like that. So I head up. There's a space next to him. I thought, ah, oh, maybe he's saving seats for somebody. So I head up, and I, uh, I say, hey, is anybody sitting here, or would I be able to take these seats? He said, no, you're fine. Go ahead. And he looked at me, and he goes, you don't really look like a tractor pull type. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if he called me a sissy or city folk, but I don't really like either of those things. And I wasn't really having it that day. I had had a hard day, and I was about to give it to this guy. So I looked at him for a second, and I said, well, you look like you just climbed out of the woods for the first time in 10 years, but I wasn't going to say anything about it. <laughs> so he laughed, and I laughed, and I, I sat down, and it was kind of bugging me. I was like, why did this guy like, just take a shot at me for no reason? Like, what's that about? So I was like, well, I'm going to try and get to know this guy a little bit and see. So I, I took my sweatshirt and I laid it out to save some seats for my friends and I sat down and started eating my hamburger and I said, so have you ever done a tractor pull? And he said, sorta. And I'm thinking like, sorta? Like you either done a tractor pull or you haven't. Like what does sorta mean? Like, so I said, well, it seems to me like that's like a yes or no answer to that question. Like you've either done a tractor pull or you haven't. And he said, didn't pull it with a tractor. And I'm like, well, this guy's awfully communicative. Like, this is going to go well. So I'm like, okay, you didn't pull it with a tractor. Did you pull it by hand? He said, no. Then what'd you pull it with? <laughs> I'm like, come on, dude, you're killing me. So he said, have you ever heard of a Belgian workhorse? And I said, no, I haven't. He said, well, it's kind of like a Clydesdale. Do you know what that is? And I said, like, uh, from the Budweiser commercials? And he said, yeah. He said, like, like a Clydesdale, but on steroids. I said, okay. So I, I, looked, I looked up the Belgian workhorses later that night, and he wasn't joking. Like, these horses are crazy. They literally look like Clydesdales that have been jacked up on steroids. Like, 
it's unbelievable. They're just like busting out with muscles everywhere. So I said, so you pulled a sled with a Belgian workhorse. He said, yeah. I said, I've won a lot of pulling competitions in my day. I said, really? I said, well, how'd you do it? He said, well, one Belgian workhorse can pull 8,000 pounds. I was like, 8,000 pounds? Like, that's like, how can you do that? Like, that doesn't even make sense. 8,000 pounds. So, so you take two Belgian workhorses and you put them together and you think one can pull 8,000, you think two, they could pull 16,000, right? He said, but no. He said, two Belgian workhorses can pull 24,000 pounds. Oh my goodness, like that's unbelievable. So, so, so that's what you did. You took two Belgian workhorses and you had them pull together and that's how you won your competition. <clears throat> he said, no, that's what everyone else did. I beat everyone else. I said, okay, well, how did you beat these people who put together two Belgian workhorses to pull 24,000 pounds? He said, well, there's this thing called a matched pair. I said, okay, what's a matched pair? He said, so... A matched pair of Belgian workhorses are two horses, usually brothers or sisters or a brother and a sister, sometimes twins. They were born together. They're about the same age. They're about the same size. He said they grew up together. They sleep in the same barn together. They eat the same food together. They graze in the same pasture together. They had the same trainer. They know the same commands. They do the same work every single day. So there's never a day in these horses' lives where they didn't pull a plow together. They never pull a plow alone. They don't know what it's like to work alone. They, in fact, they won't work alone. They have to be together. So if you take a matched pair of Belgian workhorses, they can pull 36,000 pounds. He said, I had a matched pair of Belgian workhorses. He said, and we'd hook up to a sled that everyone else was pulling, and these, these other horses would get together, two that weren't a matched pair, just two working together, and they'd pull the sled for everything they've got, and they'd get down there, and he said, my, my matched pair, they'd hook up, and they'd walk right down the track like it was no big deal. So we'd win competition after competition. He said, I got, had my horses tested for steroids over and over again because people said, how in the world is he doing this? I said, well, I wasn't really doing anything. I just had a matched pair. I had two horses that were trained by a trainer that understood unity, understood working together, understood getting on the same page. You know, I look at the body of Christ right now, I look at us, we're like a bunch of individual Bel Belgian workhorses. We're out there pulling our 8,000 pounds, trying to work things out, trying to figure out. Some of us are trying to do really good stuff, trying to do things that we feel like God called us to, working at whatever we're doing. I'm not even saying that we're bad in what our efforts are, but we're not on the same page we're not a matched pair that's working together. You know, I wonder what could happen in this community, in this area, if we actually got on the same page. I wonder if the thing that God actually called us to, which is to reach the world, might actually happen. I think if we could get on the same page and we could have a divine common goal that we work together for, I don't think this building would be big enough for the people that would come to know Christ. Thank God we've got 13 acres out here. I wonder if the 13 acres would be big enough for a building to hold all the people that God has called us to reach. But if we're just out there doing our own thing, with the name on the back of our jersey, pursuing our own vision and our own goal, it's never going to happen. But if we could get on the same page, if we could start to focus on the major things that we can agree on, 
if we could seek to understand before we seek to be understood, I think we could foster unity, get on the same page, and see this thing that God has called us to accomplish. Would you bow your heads this morning? I just want you to ask the Lord this morning if you've been fostering unity amongst the body of Christ or if what you've been doing with your life has been creating division. You know, there's probably not a person in this room that doesn't believe that Jesus is Lord, has saved us from our sins, and is worth worshiping. That's a whole lot to get on the same page about. That's a whole lot to unify around. We got all kinds of different opinions and ideas and objectives and perspectives. But the truth is, there's a lot that we can, we can get on the same page about. Why don't you just ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything that I've been doing that has been creating division in the family of God? And where can I create unity? Jesus, in that prayer that you prayed, you said you wanted us to be unified so the world would know that you were the Son of God sent by the Father and that you loved them. Lord, our, our lack of unity has been hindering that message from being communicated. And I ask you to deal with us. I ask you to change us, God. Lord, I ask you to show us what we could do to begin to be unified, to get on the same page. I ask you to speak to us, Lord. And Lord, I ask you to, to do something unique and special in us where we become unified in a way that displays your love for the world around us to see. In your name we pray, amen. So as I said, life groups, sign-ups open today. You can sign up at any point in time. You can do it on your phone or computer. If you need help with it, we can help you in the foyer. Ben will be out there with a tablet, and he can help you get signed up. I just want to share with you real quick what the five life groups are. They are the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, led by Kathy and Andy Maurer. There is Tangible Growth, led by Stephanie Russell. There, Russell. There is uh, Intentional, not International Parenting, led by Ben and Chelsea Schultz, and then Boundaries, led by Jean Nickerson, and Married Life, led by Nick and Liz D'Antonio. And there are descriptions on the website that will explain to you what each one of those life groups are. And I encourage you to find a place you can get plugged in. Have an awesome week. Be blessed.